Have you ever been going on a trip, you started off on a trip, and this could be walking, it could be riding a bicycle, a motorcycle, it could be driving, but you start off and you head the wrong direction without knowing you're heading the wrong direction. Anybody? The farther you go before you recognize you're heading the wrong direction, how does that affect your attitude? See, if, it, if, you, if you turn out here and you go towards Tyler and you realize I've got to go back to Palestine, you make the first turnaround, there's not a lot of frustration, right? It's not a big deal. But if you turn out here on 155 and you go um, all the way to Oklahoma, realizing that you should have gone east or west, either one, doesn't matter, is there a great deal of frustration? Why? You wasted time. And gasoline. Oh, my goodness. The more gasoline that, you know, it's kind of proportional. The more gasoline I waste on those things, the higher my frustration level and all of those things. It sure doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy inside when you're going the wrong direction. Well, last year, well, it's it's actually a few years ago, but this is the average for the last several years. Last year, on average, about 2.2 million marriages happened. They began in the United States. That means, do the math, 4.4 million people in the United States got married. And they began this journey together called marriage. And the vast majority of them didn't have a map, which means most of them are heading in the wrong direction. And, and most of them will realize their directional mistake within the first four years. And statistics tell us that over half of those will cancel the trip. They'll get a divorce because they'll realize they are miles and miles and miles from where they thought they would be when they started the journey together on their wedding, today, wedding day. Um, So over the past 24 hours, on average, in the United States, over the past 24 hours, there have been 3,000 divorces. Do the map, uh, do the map, do the math, and and in 365 days, that's a million, 95,000 divorces. We got 2.2 million getting married. We got almost 1.1 million getting divorced every year. Something's wrong. So much pain and heartache could have been avoided if they'd been given a map. And see, the thing is, God has given us this map. It's contained in Scripture, but nobody knows it. And so it's no wonder that there's all kinds of frustration going on. God has promised to bless us beyond our wildest imaginations in our marriage relationship if we follow His directions. So let me just ask a quick question. How many of you, whether you're married or not, you want your marriage or your future marriage to, be, uh, to bless you beyond your wildest imagination? Let me see your hand. rest of you aren't getting married or you're... Okay, we won't call you what, what you are. Okay. Now, how do marriages get so messed up? Well, before, before, we, before we look at that, let me, let me um, talk about a, a couple of things. Before we tell you how marriages work, let's look at a couple of things. You have a, a compass on your listening guide. And uh, we're going to talk about how marriages get lost. And so what, what is the compass for? What good does it do when it points true north? This isn't Johnny Depp's compass from Pirates of the Caribbean, by the way. You know, the points at what you really want. This points true north. And so what good does it do to point true north? What, if it's just spinning around, does that help you any if you're lost? No, you need, you need something that's true north. Well, let's, let's do this. You're going to fill in your compass on your listening guide as, as I talk about this. So at the top, you're going to put N equals God. True north in any relationship starts with God. And you remember all the way back in the, in the beginning, in the, in the book of Genesis, God put Adam in the garden and all kinds of stuff happened. And then there was not a, a, um, a suitable mate for Adam. So Adam was alone. God created Eve to correspond to his needs. And this began the first marriage in history. 
and, and God told them to, to get busy and have kids and populate the earth and all of that stuff. It's in Scripture, by the way. You can check that out. And this was the very first marriage. And, and the, the rules for marriage haven't changed. They're still the same, but we're not following those rules. Now, what I want you to do is underneath God, I want you to put family because God established the physical family. That was the first human relationship. And so if you're following God, your next priority is your spouse and and your human family. Not changed at all. But but when you look around, are you seeing just these model marriages, these incredibly blessed marriages all around you? Is that what you see? One person says no. Anybody else? Do you see beautiful, wonderful marriages everywhere, or do you see marriages in trouble? Thank you. Okay, I thought I was the only one. Well, there are three powerful forces. We're going to look at the other parts of the compass. We're going to figure out what these forces are. Because true north is pulling you towards God. True north is saying you do things God's way, then your spouse and your family come next. But there's all these powerful forces, and we're going to talk about these. Number one, if you look over on the left side, W equals work. Now, work is a powerful force in our lives, but here's the thing. Work is not bad. God created us to work before Adam and Eve ever sinned. Adam was supposed to work the land. He was supposed to care for the garden. So work isn't bad. And on average, we spend one-third of our waking hours working during our lifetimes. Well, if work isn't bad, then why, uh, why, is this, why does it pull us away from our families? And it's because of this. This is what I think. I think we get a great deal of value from our work. In fact, I know a lot of men that get all of their value from work and none of their value from home. Because let's be real honest, men. We get paid to go to work. We don't get paid to come home. And some men are thinking, well, this is where I'm going to draw all of my value. This is where I'm going to plug in. I'm going to get all of my value from this. And that's not the way God intended it. I love my job. I love being a pastor. I love my job. But did you know God never told me to love the church? It's not in there. God told me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And so if I put the church higher than my wife, I am contradicting Scripture. I am violating God's commands to husbands. But I got news for you. It's not just a pastor. God has told every man to love his wife. And we're going to look next week on Easter Sunday. We're going to look at some specific directions that we can follow from Jesus Christ. We're going to look at his life. We're going to see what he did. And men, if you will follow the four things that Jesus Christ did, not only will you have a successful marriage, you'll have a legacy to pass on uh, of, of those who follow after you. All right, that's just a quick commercial for next week. God tells us to love our wives because he knows, guys, that there are going to be these forces that pull us away from our families. And uh, your wife knows full well, men, whether she is higher on your priority list than your job. Look what Proverbs 23, 4 says in the message translation. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven, hell, prayer, faith combined. Because he knew we were going to chase after wealth. He knew that men were going to try to get their value from the job. That's what we ask. What do you do for a living? We want to know those things. And men identify with their jobs. But that's not the number one priority. When it pulls you away from God, when it pulls you away from your family, you are failing as a husband. Now, down at the bottom of the compass, I want you to write S equals speed of life. Where south is speed of life. I was reading back because I remembered this, uh, this story from years ago, and it says that, that the invention 30 years ago, now it was in the late 70s, you know, um, when, when Apple computers started, but not everybody could afford those. Um, and, and it was actually the personal computer, the personal computer, the PC, 
was invented around 1981. So we got 31 years. And when the PC came on the market and was supposed to be, you know, for everybody, which you know, we didn't start buying until the late 90s and, and 2000s. But when the PC came on, they said, in, in the next 30 years, we're going to do away with a lot of our need to work. We're going to have three times as much free time 30 years from now. Here we are 31 years later. Do we have three times as much free time today as we did in 1981? No, that was a joke. As the schedule fills up, dishes pile up. The only time your car gets washed is when God does it and brings a rainstorm. You know what I'm talking about? The more stressed you are in life, the faster we seem to go. And the more we give our family the leftovers. Now, I'm not one of those guys that doesn't like leftovers. I like leftovers. I eat leftovers. I just don't want them every day. And neither does your family. Mark 6.31 says this. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. Some of y'all don't know what rest is. Because you've been in such a habit of running too fast a pace. And your family, you don't even know them anymore because you're going too fast. Jesus said there, are men, there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And a lot of folks today, that could be their life motto. Didn't, you were so busy you didn't eat. And some people actually think that they're going to stand before God and he's going to go, I'm so proud of you. You were so busy. You didn't even take time to eat. And God's going to say, here's your reward for being so busy. Y'all know the truth, don't you? That's not what God's going to say. God designed specifically, gave us one day a week, we're supposed to rest. And on the Sabbath day, you know what you were supposed to do? And, and we don't celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. We actually celebrate it on Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. We moved, the, the Christians moved the celebration of the Sabbath to Sunday. On Sunday, do you know what Sunday is supposed to be? It's supposed to be a day that you worship God and you reprioritize and you say, God is first and my family is second. And speaking of that, um, <laughs> We've got, to, we've got to know our priorities and we've got to worship God on the Sabbath because a lot of you don't have that in your schedule. You don't prioritize worship and so it's no wonder that you're not prioritizing your family. Jesus was often hurried. I mean, often busy, but he was never hurried. He always had time to do what God told him to do. And we've got to figure that out. And when Jesus rested, he was able to give people his best. And when you rest, you'll be able to give people your best as well. So you do work. God created us to work. But you're supposed to take a regular time where you rest, reprioritize God, reprioritize the, reprioritize the family. On the right side of your compass, right, E equals enmity. All right. And some of you are going, what in the world is enmity? I'm going to tell you. Write these words next to enmity. Animosity. And if you can't spell that, write hatred. Your home should be a safe haven. Your home should be a place where you cannot wait to get to at the end of the day or when you've been away from home. You should want to get home. It ought to be this place. There ought to be laughter in your home. There ought to be all kinds of, of great memories going on in your home. It ought to be a place of refuge. But what I see is homes aren't. They are war zones. They're not safe havens. So like the husband comes home and, and it's like the wife has been waiting for him to get home. And she pulls the pin on the grenade. As soon as he walks in the door, where you been? You're late. And like the husband, he's ready for it. So he pulls the pin and throws back. This place looks like a pig pen. What do you do all day? And instead of this safe haven, there are terrorist attacks in our homes. 
There's minefields, there's tripwires, stuff going crazy all over the place. On top of that, you know, you've got bills to pay and the kids are screaming. And all of a sudden, you don't want to rush home. You want to survive home and rush back to work, right? Somebody said, right, and they're going to be in trouble. <laughs> so, some questions are rhetorical. You can, you can agree in your mind, but you don't. Now, here's the thing. Everybody has problems. But if you focus on the problems, they become the driving force in your marriage. And it's a very, very short step to animosity, to hatred, to divorce. Because people that come to see me, I, 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 have lo- I do lots of marriage counseling. And by the time they come see me, many times, they don't even like each other. All, of the, all those wonderful forever words they said on the, the wedding day are forgotten. And I, many times I will say, I'll just say, time out, do you even like each other? And sometimes they can't remember. So don't tell me that hatred, animosity, enmity, all of that stuff. Don't tell me it doesn't exist in marriages. It does. I see it all the time. A lot of times we just ignore it. And we ignore it till, till we can't anymore. And then it explodes. Something goes boom. And then you call me. Call me before that. I tell you all the time, I love doing premarital counseling. Marriage counseling, though, when I do too much of it, it drains me. Because I just go home and I go, God, we live in a broken world. And this is not what it's supposed to be like. And, and I know you died to make it better. Call me before, it's, before you're on life support in your marriage. Please. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16 says this. A nagging spouse. Now, I know in the original language it says wife, but this goes both ways, all right? A nagging spouse is like a drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off and you can't get away. Problems. Focusing on problems will turn your relationship into one of enmity, animosity, hatred. And, you know, <laughs> that pushes us out the front door and we go, man, we're so lost from where we thought we were going to be. What happened? Well, let me, let me kind of summarize it this way. Guy and a girl meet, fall in love. That's such a ridiculous term. You don't fall in love. But let's say you start this relationship and it grows to love. I like saying that better because you don't fall into anything. You make choices. You, you love this person and you get married. And then very shortly afterwards, children come along and a couple of resignations happen. The husband resigns from his primary job, according to Scripture. That is being the husband, being the spiritual leader in the home. And he marries his job. And that's his mistress. Guys, you may not think you have a mistress, but many of you do and it's your job. The wife resigns when she has kids. She resigns from her number one responsibility, which is being a wife, and she marries the kids. And I'm not being I'm not talking incest and all that stuff. I'm saying that in in effect, her number one priority in life is her children. And then you become strangers and God never designed it that way. Marriage should be at the top of the food chain, folks. And your marriage, your spouse has to be higher than your kids. Because you watch, this is what happens. Kid-centric families, where a kid gets everything they want when they want it, destroys kids. It will destroy your family, and it will destroy future generations. Because here's what I'm dealing with. I deal with people who get married, who were raised in a kid-centric family, and they still think they're center of the universe, and they destroy their marriage, then they destroy their children. This is what I mean, this is what the scripture means when it says, the sins of the father will be visited on the third and fourth generations, because we just perpetuate this wrong idea of marriage. 
Your kids will survive. And actually, the best thing you can do for your children is love your spouse. They were never designed to be at the top. Your spouse was designed to be at the top. So we got too many men married to their jobs and too many women married to their children. These forces, work, speed of life, enmity, they are looking to destroy our families, drive us away from our families. So how do we get back to due north? Okay, before I answer that, let me ask you another question. How do we get back to true what God wants us to do? Let me ask you a question. How many of you... Are, wait, wait, wait. Don't answer this yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the question, then I'm going to explain the question, then I'm going to ask it again. So nobody answered. How many of you are cheaters? Don't answer. Every day we choose to cheat something. Every day we have relationships, we have responsibilities... And in order to fulfill relationships and responsibilities, we cheat from something because, let's be honest, we don't have enough time in the day to give everything what it needs. So all the time we are making sacrifices here so that we can do this and we're cutting corners here so we can do this. I mean, it's just the way life works. We don't have enough time to do everything that everybody wants us to do. It is a way of life. So how many of you are cheaters? Everybody raise your hand. Come on. I'm just going to help you out here. Everyone is a cheater. You're choosing to cheat something. So that you can fulfill something else. Well, here's what I want you to do. Let's, let's stop cheating the most important things. And let's choose to cheat those things that aren't important anyway. Let's not cheat our families and our marriages. Let's do things God's way. So how are we going to do that? First thing is we got to eliminate distractions. Here's how you're going to get back on path. Eliminate distractions. And, and when you make up your mind to eliminate distractions, that's only half of the battle. It's not just about giving your marriage the time and the resources needed. It means completely destroying those things that, that compete for attention with your family and your marriage. It's about getting rid of that stuff. There are things that are regularly taking priority over your marriage and they must be eliminated. They have to be taken out. Ecclesiastes 4.4 4 says, I have also learned why people work so hard to succeed. It's because they envy their neighbors, but it is useless. It's like chasing the wind. If you want to focus on what's important in life, stop looking at your neighbors and start looking at the Bible. Doesn't matter what your neighbors think. It matters what God thinks. And every time you compare yourself to someone else, you, you become discontent. And, and all of a sudden, true north gets fuzzy and you start chasing one of these other directions. And, and before long, you're miles and miles from your marriage and you don't even realize what has happened. We've got we've to stop comparing. Because see, comparing and contentment are complete opposites. Stop comparing wives. Stop comparing houses. Stop comparing motorcycles. I have the smallest motorcycle in our motorcycle club. But I've not noticed. No, man, mine's the smallest CCs, mine was the cheapest, mine's, mine's the biggest piece of trash out there. But I've not noticed that, and I'm not bitter at all. Um, stop comparing, because when you compare, what do you do? All of a sudden, what you have is not good enough. And I got news for you. We talked about this last week. A lot of you think you married the wrong spouse. If you do, I'm, I'm willing to bet it's because you are the wrong spouse, not the other one. And we've got to quit comparing with everything else. You need to stop and ask yourself this. How much is enough? Will having more make me happier? Or let's, let's even go deeper. Will having more strengthen my marriage? 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Tell those in this world's, rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves. We can just stop right there. 
Everybody in here is rich. I know you don't feel like it, but everybody here is rich. Go to Haiti with us and you'll see you are so rich. Paul is telling a young pastor, tell the people in your church. Those people who are rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage. So we've got to quit cheating God first. We've got to quit cheating our spouse and our family second. And speaking of second, here's the second point. You need to make your spouse second. If, you're, if your compass points true north and you are heading towards God, He created the physical family. He created the spiritual family, the church. But He created the physical family. Your family should be second. You've seen those, uh, those billboards, I am second. They're great. They're awesome if you're single. If you're married, you're not even that high. You're not second. Your spouse is supposed to be above you. You see, marriage is this mystery. Ephesians chapter 5. Go read Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 31. And, and get God's ideal for marriage. We're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as, Christ, uh, as, as you would to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. I mean, there's just some great instructions there. If we followed that, we would be a lot better off. My wife, I've discovered, completes me. You complete me. Where she is strong, I'm weak. Where I'm strong, she is weak. God welds us together when we appreciate each other's strengths. When we focus on the weaknesses, the problems, that's when enmity, hatred, jealousy comes into our relationship. But if we pay attention to the good things and we admire the good things, God welds us together. And I have to value Janie because you remember the opposites attract stuff. I have to love my wife in a way that she feels loved. It's a ripoff for you to say, well, I love you. I told you I loved you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. If you if you've ever said that. You are dead wrong. And you're a fool. Because if I don't love Janie in a way that she feels loved, which means I have to be a student of my wife and I have to know her needs and her desires and I meet those so that she feels loved. If I don't do that, I'm failing as a husband. But it goes the other way, too. If Janie doesn't know me and meet my needs in a way that I feel loved, she's failing as a wife. It's not about me once you get married. It's about God and it's about my spouse and then my family in that order. First John 3.18 says, Our love should not be just words and talk. It must be true love which shows itself in action. If you aren't sacrificing for your spouse, you do not love your spouse. You can call it love, but it is not love. Jesus laid down his life for us. That's the, that's the depiction of love. Love means giving up, giving up my ambitions, my preferences, giving up my likes, giving up my particular thing I like is fun, giving up my energy, giving up my time for the benefit of someone else. That's love. Many of you are in this time-starved relationships and you're just passing each other like ships in the night and occasional goodbye kiss if you even get that, you know. And uh, your relationship is shrinking. It's shriveling up and dying 
before everyone else's eyes, you may not realize it, but before everyone else, they see that it's dying and it's no fun, especially for your family, for your kids. And let me just tell you about a pet peeve I have, and and I'm going to make at least half of you mad, and I don't care. It's this guy's night out and girl's night out, and some of you just, oh, the walls are going up. Because here's what you say. Oh, well, I need my time out. One day a week, you know, it helps me. I've got to get away. I've got to blow off some steam. I've got to do this. I've got, you see, the problem is I. You have I trouble because all you can see is you. Now, I'm not saying that Janie and I do everything together. I'm not saying that. But we do a lot together. We were, we were on a cruise a few weeks ago with my parents sitting on a beach. And Janie knows I like to swim and the inflatable things and all that stuff. The games out there that you can climb up and jump off. Ooh, I love that stuff. And so a few years ago, I, you know, I was reading a book, uh, His Needs, Her Needs. And, and I asked her to go swim out there with me. And, and she was like, you want me to go out there? And I didn't know anybody else on the beach. And I'm like... It's no fun if I go by myself. She's like, I'll watch you. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, no, baby, come on. And so she goes out there. We had an absolute blast. Had so much fun. She climbed up this 20-foot thing, slides into the ocean, you know, comes up hair everywhere. It's awesome. And I'm jumping off stuff, and we're laughing, and there's trampolines out there, and there's this little pole you run across trying to get from one trampoline to the other. We're just busting it, you know, and everybody's laughing. We just had the best time. So a few weeks ago, we're at a different beach in, in Cozumel, and the, the toys are further. And so I'm thinking, you know, and I remember, I've been on this one before, and the current is very strong. And one time my mom swam out there, and, dude, the stuff's out here, and mom's going this way. And she's going out to sea, and I'm having to swim over and tug my mom back. I was a human tugboat that day. Luckily, this time, mom didn't do that. So anyway, they're way out there, and, and uh, Jenny goes, you want to swim out there? And I said, Yes. And I said, but I wasn't going to ask you to do that. And she goes, recreational companionship. <laughs> and, and she's also very smart because she looked over and she saw this cloud coming up. And she goes, we should go now. And so I'm like, okay, we get, and they make you now, they make you wear life jackets. It's just a good thing because there's, there's, there's this current. Anyway, we swim out there. And as soon as we get up there, we climb up on this thing and we're, we're up there at the top. The bottom falls out of the rain. And I mean, it's raining, it's raining sideways and so bad that the lifeguard comes out there and says, y'all got to come in because we're already wet. We're like, it's not that bad. We're just going to stay here. It starts stinging. And so we hop off, you know, and we start swimming back and it's coming so sideways. You have to look that way. You have to look away from the rain because you can't open your eyes. You're just swimming. I look up and Janie's going out to sea and I'm going over there towing her. She doesn't like to step on the moss stuff. And so she has her feet up and I'm pulling her. She's like, tell me when it's okay. And I'm like, okay, but it ain't okay. It ain't Because okay. I... I've been in the ocean with her when something touches her, she doesn't want, and I'm not kidding, she climbed up me like a koala bear and sat on my shoulder. All right, so I'm like, keep your feet up, you know, and we get back. No sooner had we stepped on the shore, on the sand, it quits raining. And I said, man, we're making memories, baby. And then, I mean, she said, let's do it again. I'm like, you're the sexiest woman alive. She did it for me. It wasn't like she wanted to go out there, but we had a blast. Sometimes you do things for the other person. And so this excessive recreation without your spouse. I remember several years ago, some friends would call me when, when Caleb and Rachel were babies. And, you know, that was a very, very difficult time because, like, Caleb didn't sleep for a year. You know, he had colic and, and, and it was just tough. And I would have friends call me and say, let's go to the late movie. The dudes, let's let's have a guy's night. Let's go to the late movie. And then they would go to the pit grill. <laughs> There's nothing good at the pit. I mean, it's greasy. 
I've been there. I've eaten there. They go to the pit grill and they drink coffee till three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, and then come staggering in, you know, not drunk, just stupid. And, and I said, that doesn't sound fun to me. I'm not going to go. After a while, they quit calling me. And I, I don't care. Because I would rather be home helping my wife and my children than I would be without, out with the guys. Now, I go fishing. Janie doesn't like fishing. That's, that's drawing the line, you know. I can't stand shopping. And so that draw the line, you know. She doesn't want me there either because I'm, I'm not real good at shopping. But we do most of our stuff together. We have time every week where we do things together. And that builds us up. Because here's three votes that you have in your marriage. This on your listening guide. Vote number one is what's good for you. Vote number two is what's good for your spouse. And vote number three is what's good for your marriage. And if you are not voting for your marriage, you are wrong. But you know the other thing? You vote together. One of you doesn't get to say, well, this is good for the marriage. And the other one's going, no, it's not. You vote together, and you better be voting for your marriage if you want to go the long haul. And if you want to set your kids up for success in their marriages, you've got to vote for your marriage. Number three, to get back on track, you've got to take out the trash. I am so stinking amazed at how much trash my family of five generates. We have these across-the-street neighbors. You know, the trash comes twice a week. Across-the-street neighbors, husband and wife, their kids are, are my age, and so their kids are gone. They have lots of grandkids. And so every Tuesday and, and every Friday, we'll walk out to the curb, or we don't have a curb, we'll walk out there, and they have this one little trash bag. It's nice and neat, and it's not even full. It's tied, you know, and this one. And I go, no way, is that all they generate? It takes us three people sometimes to get all of our 16 bags of trash out there just three days and we got trash everywhere and sometimes you know the the wind gets up and it'll knock over the trash can and i know every time when the phone rings about six forty-five, seven o'clock in the morning i know it's my neighbor who who thinks she is the watchdog for the neighborhood reverend washburn and i'm not exaggerating i'm actually not my pitch isn't high enough i can't go as high as she is reverend washburn your trash is in my yard I'm like, yes, ma'am, I'll come get it. And so I trudge out there, and I pick up all my trash, and I trudge back over, and I throw it in Wes's yard. Because <laughs> I figure I'm just spreading the love. Um, now, I put it up, and, and, you know, I'm just amazed at how much trash we generate. Well, let me tell you, in a marriage, unresolved conflict is trash. And the reason some of you come see me after a long time is because you've got... Bags and bags of unresolved conflict and you don't know how to resolve conflict. And we walk through this process of resolving conflict. And if we can get through that, conflict doesn't have to be bad. We've got this negative connotation of it. It doesn't have to be bad. Conflict can actually get you to feelings and needs, which is where everybody wants to live in relationships. But we think conflict is bad and so we avoid it. And what happens? This happens all the time. If you have a friend that you have conflict with and you do not resolve that, eventually they are no longer your friend. It happens all the time. And if you have a marriage where you do not resolve conflict, eventually you are no longer married. You will walk out the door on that marriage because you can't deal with unresolved conflict. We've got to learn how to take out the trash. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to be looking at this. I'm going to walk you through the, how you do this, how you fight fair, how you meet needs, how you resolve conflict. Um, and by the way, one of the things we're going to do, the 15th, 22nd, and 29th of April, we're going to do small groups. And, and one of those nights, at least one, depending on you, 
one of those nights, the men are going to meet together and the women are going to meet together. And, and I want to answer questions that you have. And so on your, your registration card today in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have you write down questions. And if you if you feel like you can't write down the question because your spouse might see it, you know, or something like that, then then go to Doug at NLCCP.com and just send that to me. And we're going to have a list of questions and we'll have men gathered in one room and women in another. And we'll just work through questions and, and issues that you have. Uh, because we want your marriages. I feel like God has called me to help marriages. It's one of the reasons I'm, I'm on the planet. It's one of the reasons, not that I have the answers, but I've been doing this a long time. And I know if you follow God's plan, God always works. It doesn't work. God works. When you are submitted to his Holy Spirit, there's no, I say this, but because our crowd is different every week, I'm going to say it again. There's no such thing as irreconcilable differences. It's a term coined by lawyers We've got at least one in the in the in the crowd. It's a term coined by lawyers to make divorce easier. No offense, brother. I may be calling you someday, so I don't want to offend you. Not for not for divorce. No, no, no. Let's clarify that. Because I told Janie, I said, come hell or high water, I will never leave you. Not going to do it. And we we had a friend um, from another church and his wife got Alzheimer's. And, and I pray to God that I have the type of commitment that he had. I don't even know how many years he went to the Cartmel home and sat by her bed when she didn't know him. He fed her. She would scream. Janie said she would go by the room and she would hear the wife screaming in pain sometimes. And, and he would be there patting her hand. That man was there every day, hours a day, until she died. That's for better or for worse. That's some of those forever words we all speak, but we don't mean. And I pray I'm that type of, of husband. Look at Mark 3.25. It says, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. A lot of you are destroying your marriages. Okay, so the fourth thing. And this is, this is a choice. Always hurry home. And I'm going to explain what I mean. You ever heard anybody say, they are so lucky they have a great marriage. You ever heard that? There's no luck involved in a great marriage. It takes work and it takes commitment to have a great marriage. You got to put effort into it. Oh man, it's you're throwing time and money at your highest priorities right now, and you're really selfish is the reason that you don't want to throw time and money towards your spouse. Let's just call it what it is. You think you got her, dudes, and you think I'm going to spend the money on something else. Well, (laughs) try divorce. If you want to talk expensive, try divorce. It's, it's very expensive. And, and again, I'm not trying to throw rocks at anybody who's been divorced. I'm not interested in your past. I'm interested in your future. I don't want you to repeat the same mistakes. Because when you get a divorce and you go get married again, many times you're going to get divorced again. That's just what statistics tell us. So I'm trying to stop that trend by speaking the truth. If your relationship is in trouble right now, It didn't get that way overnight, and so it's not going to get better overnight. There has to be this long commitment to this long process to get things better. The truth of life is it's going to take time. And a lot of people think, well, this is this relationship's bad. It's not working. If I could just get out of this relationship, get into a different relationship, everything would be better. Not realizing that if you take you out of this present relationship, you take you with you to the next relationship, and you are part of the problem. You've got stuff, 
that's affecting this relationship. You get divorced, you've got twice as much stuff that's going to affect the next relationship. That just makes sense. Just do the math. And so we've got to help people get healthy spiritually and emotionally before they ever, before they ever try to get married again. Some say, well, I just don't love him anymore. So what? As if it's this uncontrollable thing. As if you're walking down the road. And, oh, I fell in love. How stupid is that? As if you're walking down the road and you fell out of love. No, you quit doing what you did at first. I can guarantee you, you're not doing what you used to do if you no longer feel love. So it's not a feeling. Love is a choice and you do the right thing and the feelings will come. You don't act your way. You don't feel your way into a new way of acting. You act your way into a new way of feeling. That's the way it goes. If you choose to love, the feelings will return. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to hurry home this week. And some of you go, oh, yeah, I'll hurry home. No, be specific. And I want you to ask your spouse, what could I do this week to make you feel like you and our family are a priority? And then you do it. If she says be home at 530 every day, I don't give a rip how how wonderful your job is, how important you think you are. You're failing if you don't do those things that make your spouse feel loved. So if she says be home at 530, go in early. Let's figure this out. It's not that hard. Let's make our spouses. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to make a seven day pledge to your spouse. I will hurry home and I will do one or two things, not 800 that you tell me it will make you feel important. I don't have time to do that. I will do these one or two things to make you feel loved this week. And after seven days, you do it again for another seven days. You do it again for another seven days. 21 days down the road, you've developed a habit. And you start in your marriage starts improving dramatically. Now, I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to, to make a commitment to God, not to me, that you will return for the rest of these, these uh, sermons, this series, and it goes through May 6th. Because whether you're married or not, chances are you're going to be married at least once in your future and you need to know this stuff or you're going to be lost relationally. And I want you to think about what we talked about. If you're married and there's, there's a pull that's pulling you away from your relationship, which is it? Is it work? Is it the speed of life? Or is it the enmity that comes from focusing on your problems? You're going to write this down in just a minute on your, on your registration card. And, and if you, uh, you need to ask a second question, what do you need to do right now? Not what does your spouse need to do. What do you need to do right now to make your marriage more of a priority? Do you need to eliminate distractions? Do you need to make your spouse second? Which implies that God is first, not you. Do you need to take out the trash? you need to hurry home? Father, I pray that you pour out your mercy and your grace on the marriages represented in this room. And Father, for the singles, for the teenagers... In their future marriages. Oh dear God protect them. Give them wisdom as they go about the dating courtship process. Help them to recognize. What is a healthy relationship. And what is an unhealthy relationship. And I pray God for these teenagers in this room. That you protect them. And that God you protect them from people who would abuse them emotionally or physically. People who would use them and throw them away. God I pray that these kids would never have to go through that. 
But instead, God, they would set themselves up to follow you and never waver from that path so that they can experience something better, something that you designed for us from the very first moment you created marriage. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fill out your registration cards, if you would. Turn those over on the back. And I want you to write down what it is that pulls you away from your relationship. Is it work? Is it speed of life? Or is it enmity? Focusing on problems. And then what do you need to do? I want you to write on the back. Do you need to eliminate distractions? Do you need to make your spouse second? Do you need to take out the trash? Or you need to hurry home? And if you think of any questions that you have for small groups, write those questions on there. If you've got too many questions, then go to NLCC, Doug at NLCCP.com and write those down.